From MTMA, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. A lot of times in healthcare, I was often show the I Love Lucy chocolate factory vi- video where we're just kind of like shoving <laughs> shoving patients in. You know, we have them all show up at seven o'clock. And, you know, meanwhile, we don't have enough staff to even touch the patients, um, all of them until eight o'clock. That's Adrian Lloyd on mapping out process improvements for clinic flow optimization. We'll hear more from Adrian on the intricacies of Lean and Six Sigma, best practices for reducing system waste, and techniques for implementing effective change in your practice. But first, a word from our sponsor. Are you a healthcare professional who always has the bottom line in mind? Then you're not alone. Join others just like you at MGMA 20, the financial conference, March 5th through the 7th in Nashville, Tennessee. This industry-leading conference is designed to arm medical professionals with the education and tools needed to run a more profitable and efficient practice. Whether you're a CFO, accountant, physician, consultant, or other related position, the Music City is where you'll want to be this spring. To learn more, visit the events page at mgma.com. Change is necessary, but often met with apprehension and resistance. Process improvements don't have to be a pain point for every medical practice. Embracing methodologies like Lean and Six Sigma have proven to cut down system waste while enhancing patient and provider experience in clinics of all shapes and sizes. In fact, a 2017 survey found that 87% of healthcare operations that formally implement process improvements reported higher patient satisfaction scores. This week's guest, Adrian Lloyd, is a Process Improvement Authority. She's currently the Chief Administrative Officer of the Duke Eye Center, an MGMA practice management consultant, and has spent more than 19 years in healthcare leadership, including a lengthy stint at the Mayo Clinic. Adrian, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Now, as you know, we're going to talk today about utilizing Lean and Six Sigma for clinic flow optimization. And if you could first just define those terms for our audience, let them know a little bit about what you know about them, what you think about them, and why they're so vital to a medical practice. Sure, absolutely. Really, um, Lean and Six Sigma can be used independently or together, but they both focus on kind of the customer, which most often, of course, in healthcare is focusing on the patient. And Lean really looks at trying to reduce the waste that is in the process, reducing the excess either waiting time or processing time, or maybe reducing handoffs or collection of too much information or those types of things between um, staff members or between patients. And so it's really about waste reduction. Um, Six Sigma, on the other hand, is kind of blends in with that very well, but it focuses really on standardization and reducing variations. If you're thinking more of around like lab tests, you know, trying to get to that really high um, consistent output for for products, for processes. And so I usually recommend starting with lean to try to map the process and see where there's areas to maybe even cut out an entire step or component. Because if you start with 5S, you may try to make something perfect when you may be able to have gotten rid of that whole step in the first place. So Um, But yeah, they really work together. So focusing on lean with waste reduction and then Six Sigma kind of using that to standardize those steps of the process that you still feel are really value added from the customer perspective. Mm -hmm. And I was first introduced to those terms in in business school and the 
the examples that were used were the auto industry and, and in that kind of factory sure. type setting. Why do you think it's been so important and adopted and embraced so much in the healthcare world? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we have so many processes that have been put in place for either maybe a provider preference or our, um, you know, we've been trying to accommodate regulatory things that have come down the pike. And off, over time, we tend to kind of add processes or steps to a process and don't always take the time to kind of step back and look at, you know, the time from the patient, maybe check in to check out in a clinic practice and really saying, okay, what do we still need to be doing? What is, what is really um, value added and value added from the customer perspective is, you know, what are they willing to pay for? And I often, when I talk, will give um, one of my examples is when we were looking at our GI endoscopy practice, we actually mapped out the process in a lot of detail and found that we had 216 steps, but we really said there were only um, two value added steps initially the patient would you know they're really coming to get a colonoscopy they need the results to determine if something's wrong um, they know they've got to have the procedure in order to get that so you've got those two value-added steps and then we caved and said you know they probably will pay for sedation um, for the colonoscopy so we said out of those 216 steps three only three steps are really value-added from the customer perspective the good news is then all of the rest of those steps are on the table for us to either try to eliminate them if possible um, or to at least optimize how we're doing them to save you know, our staff time and providers time and, and make the experience better for the patients. And so uh, I think looking at it from the customer perspective really helps us just um, focus on what, what truly is required and important from the patient perspective so that we can spend our time on those things versus a lot of the other things that um, we have to do, but maybe there's a better, more efficient way of doing them. Right. It it's so interesting that you brought that up. I was in a meeting earlier this morning. We were talking about adoption of value-based care, and we were right. discussing two different practices. One had done what you're talking about, focus, and they focused on seven KPIs to really focus on to see is the value-based care adoption working. The other practice had over a 100 that they're looking at and they I hear you laughing and we were <laughs> kind of shaking our heads too because if you're focusing on a hundred different things right. it's that kind of thing are you focusing on right. any what are your thoughts on hearing that information yeah, yeah I, I think it's um you know we all we all have day jobs and we all have patients that are coming through the doors you know on a, a minute by minute basis sometimes and so when you've got so many initiatives it really is almost impossible to make significant movement on all of them. Um, and of course, when you don't see movement, it's frustrating as an administrator and the staff and for the physicians as well. And so um, I think the more that you can try to streamline and focus on the processes that you know really impact the majority of your patients, the majority of your practice. So um, a lot of times we'll talk about the 80-20 rule. And if you can look at a process that touches perhaps you know, 80% of your patients or 80% of your new patients go through this process as you're mapping out those steps, then you, if you can make that 80 process efficient for those 80%, then you're going to end up having some flexibility for those patients that are, you know, a lot more complex and, you know, need more time. It'll give you some of that cushion. Um, but if you try to make a perfect process for all, all the possibilities that may come through the door, um, or all the initiatives and KPIs that you need to hit, it's just, it's really hard to to move the dial and um, kind of get the engagement. And that's one of the other things that I, 
I really have, um, I've been doing process improvement and actually learned it when I was at Mayo Clinic in GI. Um, and I've been, so I've been doing it for over 10 years. And what I love most about it, a lot of it is common sense and there's really great tools that you can use in a, you know, a kind of um, step-by-step approach, but you can also kind of plug and play them in different scenarios. But what I really enjoy about um, teaching process improvement and Lean Six Sigma and then also using it in my, my own practices is that it really just creates a kind of neutral and safe environment for engagement, um, both of the providers and your staff across all roles, for them to give you as leaders input into what they see every day. They're kind of those frustration minutes. Um, you know, the, the EHR, they have to click 13 times or um, you know, asking the patient multiple times what their name and date of birth and reason for being here is. And, you know, is there a better way um, for them to do what they all signed up to do when they came into healthcare, which is really, you know, provide great patient care and not, you know, nobody joined healthcare to fill out paperwork. And so, um, you know, really kind of focusing on the patient and doing it in a systematic way allows them to give input where maybe they didn't feel like they um, could before. And so I think that's what's really, really great about using this methodology in various various scenarios. Right, and you mentioned your 10 years at Mayo. You've also spent, uh, what is it, six or seven years at Duke uh, now. Yeah. Yeah, what have you learned along the way then? Because it seems like at each stop, you're, you're kind of refining and, and improving your ideas and your thoughts on process improvement. Uh, walk us through that a little bit. Sure. Um, both organizations actually very different um, in terms of how they function. Um, Mayo is much more integrated. Duke is is working to that, but the the physician practice is separate from the hospital. And um, but really, both both of the organizations have significant focus on you know the patient, putting the patient first, and really trying to make the processes um, support the staff and the providers who are helping take care of those patients. And um, so both when I, when I was at Mayo, I um, started in um, radiology and interventional radiology. We were doing um, Six Sigma really um, with the 5S work, which is a lot of just standardization around, it's most often used in maybe standardizing a procedure room or an exam room um, or your supply area and looking at you know, the frequency of items that you're ordering and really just trying to create a system so that you're both minimizing costs, but also minimizing wasted effort for trying to find something or, um, you know, having a delay in getting a, a supply that the physician might need. And um, so we, we worked through that. And then um, really the GI process, we looked at an, our entire endoscopy, our ASC, ambulatory surgery center, as well as our clinic practice. And um, at that time, it was 2008 with our ambulatory surgery center. Um, colonoscopies were our volume was down, I think in large part, um, patients somewhat considered a somewhat of elective procedure, um, unfortunately. And, um, you know, with the economy where it was, we, we really had um, a problem in terms of both our volume and we also had patients in our facility a lot longer than they needed to be. And so we, we knew that we needed to um, work together to identify where we might be able to change those processes and hopefully reduce the, the cost per case, um, but also, provide a, a better, um, increase our patient satisfaction so that we were starting to attract uh, more patients and really growing during that service. So, um, and then also one of the other things that 
as I came to Duke, we have 10 ophthalmology clinics. We're actually opening another one next week. Um, but we, we really had 10 clinics that were functioning very independently. And I think this happens a lot in bigger health systems or even physician group practices as they maybe buy other practices or start to partner, um, they find that there's not consistency. And so we went through and started to optimize kind of clinic by clinic our practices and standardize, you know, where it made sense as much as we could um, to really, you know, make sure our revenue cycle, our front desk were working in a similar way. We were training our technicians um, consistently and trying to make sure an environment where the patients were getting through um, as efficiently as possible with the highest quality outcomes and, and service. And um, so really just taking these techniques and again, is trying not to, you know, eat the elephant, uh, maybe with a hundred KPIs, but yeah. being, you know, so we started with one of our smaller clinics and then took what we learned and rolled that out to another one. And then we're able to, you know, continue to optimize and um, improve what we had done at the or other organizations. And that helped facilitate in all the roles that I've had, we've ended up doing um, cross training to some degree of our staff and our, um, even our management team such that we can share staff across the facilities, which has been really great, both to provide consistent staffing levels and support. Um, and you can't do a lot of those things if you've got 10 different practices functioning 10 different ways. Um, but, you know, with all of these changes, it's really important to have the provider engagement um, and at least to have, you know, a couple providers who, physicians who are the champions. Um, and even if they're not in every single step of the process improvement initiative for them to understand the why, I um, always talk a lot about, you know, start with the why, you know, create the vision um, and start with, you know, why you're doing this. You're trying to, you know, make a better experience for the patients. Um, you're trying to create an environment where you maybe can take care of more patients, but, um, or um, and re really connecting the physicians to that why and then helping them understand that you're gonna try things. Some of them may not work, hopefully most of them will. Um, and they kind of need to be patient with us as we're, um, as we're trying those things to figure out what the new process should look like. But um, so just really, I think a lot with Mayo um, specifically then helped facilitate what we were able to do with across Duke is really um, a lot of it is about the engaging both the staff and the providers, creating a shared vision, and then working together to identify um, pieces of the process that need to be refined and um, continue to optimize from there. Okay. Now, in researching your background, I saw that you have uh, a couple of degrees from Chapel Hill, and I'm just curious around. <laughs> I'm just curious around basketball season. What's that like for you being at Duke now? <laughs> it's always a little tedious. It's much better when we win than um, when we don't. But um, <laughs> okay, okay. So it's. Uh, is it? Uh, uh, we actually have a couple of our. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No. Is it a? Is it a? A good. Uh, healthy rivalry for you or do you keep a low profile yeah, I, those days or what's what's that like yeah I, I try not to talk about it if we lost but um <laughs> yeah. you know I've got a <laughs> we have we have a few of us around and so um you know but some of my providers definitely will will find me uh, make an effort to find me if, if we've um gotten significant loss that day so but it's yeah I mean you know it's all in good fun and um we actually partner with the UNC some of our practices at, at UNC and help you know, from a medical perspective. So um, I try to bridge that gap whenever possible, but um, get a little lighter blue and <laughs> in it. our lives. But that's it. Um, well, it probably helps yeah. that y'all are both 
uh, you know, peak peak programs most of the time. So you don't have to, you don't have one that's just uh, completely outstrips the other one. So at least you can have a good competitive rivalry. Yeah, and we are very fortunate to be in the um, the Raleigh Durham market is just continuing to grow and expand, and so that has been very um, very positive. I think for both organizations, um, the conversations now have. You know, again, I think for both organizations and others in the surrounding areas, it's really focusing on how, you know, population help, how do we provide care um, to more people? And then, of course, the other part of that is how do we do that in a way that remains cost effective and helps set us up for whatever healthcare reform we'll bring next? Um, and again, I think that's where Lean and Six Sigma, you know, focuses on both improving consistency of the process, um, patient service, but it also allows you to really eliminate costs, um, unnecessary costs um, in the care that can hopefully be removed without having any detrimental you know, effects or hopefully a positive effect for the patient. So mm -hmm. now moving on, you speak frequently. You, you've spoken to many uh, MGMA groups. You speak to other groups. Um, when you're when you're talking to them about process improvement, what are some of the common themes, some of the common concerns or questions that they have for you? Sure. Um, well, I always seem to get a lot of feedback when we start talking about 5S, which again is kind of the organization of a physical environment. Um, and I always get um, a few few comments asking me what my house looks like, which I have young children, so it does not look <laughs> like, <laughs> like we try to make our clinics look in terms of standardization. But um, there's always recognition and with um, that topic, which a lot of that is trying to think strategically around perhaps equipment placement, flow of the clinic, um, supply standardization, you know, do you even have a printer or fax machine in a location that your front desk is having to get up 50 times a day and walk five feet and sit back down and how much time and effort does that take them versus, you know, could you buy another printer for a couple hundred dollars and, um, you know, really, allow them more time to connect with the patient that's in front of them and those types of things. So it really is um, a lot of common sense stuff, but just trying to think about that in an organized way. Um, there's always a lot of like, oh yeah, we absolutely can do that. And this doesn't make any sense. Why did we put that piece of equipment? We had an example, one of our eye um, ophthalmology clinics where we had the printer for one of our imaging devices, which now we have it electronic, but at that time the printer was all the way on the other side of the clinic. And by the time you add up the steps that the technicians walking to go get the printout, you know, it, it's taking could take up to an hour a day of their time, mm. which um, is obviously not what you want. And so if you really start to look at those things that are seemingly insignificant and you multiply them by how many times you have to do them in a day, um, that can really save you some effort. And just um, a lot of, most of that effort is not value added, of course, to anyone. Um, so that's always a topic that seems to get a few, you know, chuckles and, um, aha moments. And right. then the other one that is not necessarily just Lean and Six Sigma, but um, I often weave in conversations around employees and providers. You know, everybody really wants to have an engage, a culture where they're engaged and they feel like they're providing input and they know what expectations are um, so that hopefully they're going to work to meet those and they can achieve that. And that's one of the things that I think is most helpful with Lean and Six Sigma is it allows you again to kind of create a shared vision. You know, where are you today? Where do you want to go? Um, you know, look at that process um, 
where are you? What, what's working? What's not working? Um, brainstorm with the team. I say I should have bought stock and post-it notes, but mm-hmm. um, you know we do post-it notes with you know, and I usually get a few eye rolls. But by the end of the um, you know half hour hour discussion of getting ideas on the table, even the physicians, everybody's so engaged, um, and we kind of say it through brainstorming. You know, no idea is a bad idea. Um, let's get it get everything on the table, and then go through a process with your team in front of you um, to prioritize them. And I think that's one of the things as leaders, we often try to do everything ourselves and we feel this huge responsibility to make it work, which is great that we feel that responsibility, but we can't do it alone. And so using these processes and techniques is, it kind of creates that neutral safe environment for your team to provide input and also to understand, you know, why it's, maybe much easier to just you know certain things to just go ahead and try or do them and you know change that form or um, buy another printer you know that's going to take much less effort and we should go ahead and do that versus some of the other things about um, maybe redesigning the clinic or um, other decisions that are going to take more more time more money um, and are still great ideas but will require some planning and i think from a staff perspective they often don't know why something doesn't move forward and so having those conversations with them there helps them understand, you know what, this is, this is a great idea, but we need to put some planning behind it. And it may not be something that we can do right now. Um, and I think the more that they understand that, the more um, they get engaged with those conversations. I really think that's so important. So um, using Lean Six Sigma to kind of create that culture of engagement and accountability and create standards that helps with training new employees. Um, it helps with it holding employees accountable so that you can measure the work that they're doing um, and either celebrate their success or provide coaching opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really, really what's great. And so that's one of the other things that um, I think Lean and Six Sigma helps support you as a manager in really creating that that culture of teamwork and accountability and engagement that um, all of us want to have. And that's, you know, have a place that everybody really enjoys coming to work and the patients feel that too. So, yeah. You're often consulting with practices, and I'm curious, when you're meeting with them, do they already have Lean Six Sigma processes in place and you're helping them optimize it, or do they not have them in place yet? Um, I I think a mix of both. Um, A lot of people, I think, have heard about Lean and Six Sigma. Um, So some of them will have standard work, maybe at their front desk where they've kind of outlined you know, this check-in process, they've got a, um, a piece of the process in place. I think, unfortunately, what I find is um, so, sometimes there's a misconception, I think, around Lean and Six Sigma. And while you can use the methodology to determine how many staff you may need or um, how much how many resources you may need in a certain process, um, I really don't like to come in and say, you know, you can, you can do this process with five less staff. I don't think that creates the environment and the culture and engagement that it really has the potential for. So um, if they have not gone through Lean and Six Sigma processes, I really like to, you know, kind of start, um, we have what I call is a day zero conversation, which is, you know, today's kind of whatever has happened before has happened before, but today's day zero. And we want to create a vision for the future, um, kind of learn some techniques and tools, and then systematically pick an area or a type of patient and map out the process. And Um, I really like to try to do hands-on work with them because I want to, when I leave, for them to be able to continue the work without me there. And so I think 
showing them how to think differently is really the most important thing that I could do and in those engagements. And um, it's really exciting just to see the the individuals who they've pulled together on a team, some of who at the beginning won't say any, you know, won't provide any input. They're not saying anything, maybe even look a little upset to be there in the first place. Um, it's really exciting to see them, you know, one or two hours in um, so engaged and coming up with ideas and really starting to kind of be a, a positive contributor um, to creating that change. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you began this conversation talking about focus. We talked about the example of the practice that had, you know, seven KPIs versus the one that had more than a hundred. Sure. So let's talk about that for just a moment, because this can all seem a little daunting to adopt new practices, new techniques. Sure. So what are some first steps that someone should take? Um I think you want to make sure you pick an area of the practice that you're, you know, that you're passionate about that is a pain point because um, you want to pick something that you're going to have some engagement from your team of, you know, we've got to fix this. We've got to look at this. This has got to be, there's got to be a way to make this better. So pick something that's important because if you don't, you may um, lose momentum. Um, So I would say that that is very important and, um, you know, create kind of a vision. So for our, our gastroenterology practice, we really focused on our, our colonoscopy patients when we were looking at our ambulatory surgery center and they were in our facility a little over three hours, which um, we knew was too long. And so we looked at that process and did a high level mapping process to kind of say, okay, what are the major phases that the patient goes through? Um, and then under each of those phases, we broke it down to more discrete steps um, and identified with Kaizen events, we identified, okay, what's a priority for us to start with? Um, and in that scenario, one of the areas that we identified was our provider schedules. We knew um, we just had overly complex schedules. We had typically five to six endoscopists in the um, surgery center in a day, and they each had a morning and an afternoon calendar. We had different types of appointments for colons and EGDs and all of those kinds of things. And so. Um, I knew we were going to need to change that, but often in order to get that physician buy-in, sometimes it's easier to start with something that um, isn't impacting, you know, them directly and isn't impacting the patients quite as, um, quite as much, at least in the front end. So we started in that scenario with a 5S project, which is essentially, again, trying to hardwire your physical space in a way that makes um, things really easy to find, consistently located. You've got the eye supplies where you need them, when you need them, you're not over ordering. Um, and so we did that with our procedure rooms. We kind of um, you know, closed the practice a little bit early. Um, one day brought the team in, had pizza, um, and you know, even some of our physicians came and you know, we cleaned out one of the procedure rooms, we cleaned out the supply room, we got rid of things that we didn't need and we created kind of a standard model. And I like using 5S at the beginning because I feel like that is a physical change. And I think a lot of times um, we start change projects in our practices and for a variety of reasons, there's a million things hitting us. It's hard to always execute on those. And sometimes our staff and our physicians start to 
um, lose faith that we're going to actually get it done. Um, and so what's nice about 5S is you can actually, they can pretty quickly see a change, mm-hmm. um, even if it's just moving a piece of equipment from one to another. And so having that at the beginning, um, there's almost always an area that you can standardize and make more efficient. Um, having something like that at the beginning is very, very important. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I would say is just really doing a um, time observation and so following your your patients through a particular process, a certain type of patient, following them through the steps, or even following one of your staff members through the steps and time tracking how long it's taking them to do something can also be eye-opening because I think as leaders, we often don't see um, what's happening on a regular basis. And so to be able to understand like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this piece of the process is taking you know, X amount of time. Mm-hmm. There's gotta be a way we can streamline this and um, those, those two things I think are very helpful. Yeah, let's talk about measuring that, that time observation that you were sure. talking about. So once you've, you, you tracked it initially to see where the, where the faults were, the inefficiency, so then you put in your changes, how do you measure that? What, what, do you, what does it look like and what kind of improvements have you seen in a practice? Sure. Um, And I would actually recommend before you even start the project, I would um, often recommend starting with a project charter and you don't have to uh, make it, you know, four pages long, but, you know, something. And I actually have a template that I'd be happy to share um, and we could attach with the podcast. But, um, you know, I would I would really try to think about how are you going to measure this? Because even if it's a small win, you want to be able to celebrate that both with the team that helped you and also to with with your providers so that you can start to build, um, you know, kind of more trust from their perspective that um, you kind of get more credibility to continue and try bigger and bigger things. Um, so I would really think about it in terms of whether or not you're going to measure it from a financial or quality perspective um, and or both. Um, and so you want to look at things um, like how long does the process take? So how long is the patient taking from check-in to check-out? How long does it take for them to... Um, you know, for you to schedule an appointment or for them to actually be in pre-op or post-op or, um, you know, have a radiology exam, you know, or um, image performed, looking at the time, how long does it take a staff member? And then, of course, you can quantify that based on the cost of that staff member per hour or maybe your revenue per patient visit, that kind of thing. Um, You could also, if you're doing a 5S event, look at your cost of supplies, either overall or for a certain type of um, patients or procedures um, and so you can see where you are today and if you're able to decrease that that would be great um, also looking at from kind of a quality and consistency perspective you know reduction in error rates um, or are you able to um, improve your patient satisfaction your staff satisfaction provider satisfaction scores um, and then of course just also looking at your your growth are you able to um, because you've improved the process are you able to help see another one or two patients even a day and what does that mean from a long-term perspective both in terms of either incremental revenue or depending on healthcare how healthcare reform um, changes at least you know we're using the same resources to be able to provide and take care of two more patients so you're reducing that cost per case so um, those are a variety of things that you can look at but I think it's worth taking um, you know even 15 to 30 minutes at the beginning before you start the project to say, okay, how are we going to measure this? Get some pre-data um, so that you're able to sell it. You're able to measure your success at the end and and celebrate that. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you earlier about buy-in. How do you, you know, because people don't always like change. They, right. They've got something that they're doing and it and it at least works. It's not broken. You don't want to change your, your process yeah. there. So I think those celebrating those wins, no matter how small, that that can help with buy-in, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you have any real life uh, examples, a case study, anything where you've kind of taken that from the beginning and then help put those processes in place and then and then seen the change and seen the improvements? Absolutely. So um, both, I would say that um, obviously we did, I already talked a lot about with Mayo GI, but with our Duke ophthalmology practices, you know, again, I mentioned we had 10 locations, they were functioning very differently. And when I started, um, I was hearing a lot of concerns from the physicians, some of them saying anything from, you know, they're waiting for um, the patients, they're waiting to get patients, they're kind of sitting there twiddling their thumbs at times, there's other times they're running significantly late, they felt like there wasn't teamwork um, across the clinics, um, some of the technicians were much better trained than others, and there just really wasn't a consistency across, um, sometimes even within one clinic, there was a lot of variation based on who was there and um, a lot of it boiled down to some of that accountability engagement culture so what we did with our first with one of our locations and then we again rolled it from there was we had that um, conversation around today is day zero we met with all the staff we met with all the providers we tried to get input and figure out a little bit of um, what some of the issues were and then we really talked to them about the, the vision, which our vision was we wanted to create an environment where the um, staff were happy to be there, the providers were happy to be there, and our patients were, were also happy to be there, but we're moving through in an efficient way. And we talked um, about, you know, healthcare reform, you know, we've got to be ready for um, not only, we've got to be ready to get paid. We, only, we know we're not going to get paid more per patient <laughs> over time. Mm-hmm. And so how do we really look at that cost per care? And I think a lot of those conversations, sometimes at the frontline staff level, we don't have those enough with them so that they can, you know, understand the why, you know, why are we trying to do this? And um, it's not just necessarily to grow revenue, it's to help provide a sustainable organization that is ready for for changes that we may not be able to control down the road. And um, so we had that conversation with them and then we pulled together a team and we did a high level process map um, of looking at our new patients as they were going through the system. And um, with ophthalmology, most, you know, I, I always say really um, everything boils down to people and process for them, you know, and so it's mm-hmm. understanding how to look at the process and how to engage the people and ask the right questions um, and help, you know, have them help you kind of come up with the solutions. And so um, if you can work um, successfully through both of those things, you know, then healthcare, it really, that with each specialty, there's so many similarities in terms of, you know, how we interact with the patient from the front desk to the physician exam to the checkout to the, um, you know, the surgery schedule or procedure schedule. Um, for ophthalmology, all of our imaging equipment is um, located in the clinic. So the patients at the time were going, um, they were being handed off from a technician who was doing part of the workup to a um, photographer and then sometimes either back to the technician or kind of waiting then for the physician. And what we were able to go learn is, you know, the technology continues to get so much 
more advanced and sophisticated. And so we were able to train our technicians, A, to do a more consistent workup and intake process, but also to do a large portion of the um, imaging. And so they were able to then not have to hand that patient off uh, multiple times before they would see the provider. And as we standardized that part of the, kind of their training and provided additional support for that, we were able to get the, the check-in and the technician workup and imaging components uh, more consistent, more standardized. And then we worked on the third step, which was looking at the physician templates and their, their appointment schedules. And so we were able to kind of work backwards to create essentially a pull system, which times in healthcare, I was often show that I love Lucy chocolate factory mm -hmm. vi video where we're just kind of right. like shoving, <laughs> shoving patients yeah. in, you know, we have them all show up <laughs> at seven o'clock and, you know, yep. meanwhile, we don't have enough staff to even touch the patients, um, all of them until eight o'clock or seven, you know, and mm -hmm. um, so you're trying to create a pull system so that the patient is ready when the physician's ready to see them. And um, of course, for most practices, that's going to vary whether or not based on whether or not it's a new patient or a return patient or a surgical practice, a post-op. And so we looked at the time that it was going to take the technician to do that workup. And then we were able to kind of work backwards and build the schedule. And so once we did that, we were, you know, made significant improvements in reducing, improving the flow um, and also reducing the, the wait time for the patients. And it allowed us to expand what the providers were able to individually see um, and our, our staff were able to, to accommodate. And that, that was a game changer for us, you know, so really focusing on training your staff, educating your staff, um, challenging them to, to learn and creating an environment where um, they know what the expectations are. And they don't, you know, I often say people don't mind high expectations they just want to know what they are and they want them consistently and fairly enforced. And so having that kind of consistency as a leader um, in setting those expectations and then recon reconfirming those, affirming those with your staff is so important. Um, and that helps them know that if they're not meeting expectations, they you know should come forward and say, I need more training on this device or I'm struggling with this type of patient. Can you help me walk through you know, how I need to do this step in the process again and um, trying to create a supportive culture, but also one where you're not going to allow kind of your low performers to um, continue to, you know, just hang out um, unaddressed because that really mm -hmm. can, you know, drag down your overall culture. So, um, so we, we changed again, the technician training, the workup process, the changed the physician templates. Um, we used what's called spaghetti mapping, which is part of kind of the 5S and Six Sigma process, which could be, um, I've done it on the back of a napkin before, kind of drawing mm -hmm. a procedure room um, and just right. looking at where items are versus who in the room is using them. Um, so if you're in a procedure room, where is the item that the physician is going to use versus the nurse or the technician? Um, are they gonna have to cross over the patient beds um, and that kind of thing? If you're looking at an entire clinic, which we did a lot in um, our optimal, and optimizing our ophthalmology practices was um, you're looking you know an entire floor plan and so you're kind of following the patient through um, the system and so what's been great for us as we've been able to open new clinics and be involved in those designs is we've put most of our workup rooms and our imaging rooms at the front of the clinic so the patients are kind of coming in and having those imaging you know everything's right there at the front um, having our surgery scheduling offices as they're coming 
you know, out of the practice and through checkout and really trying to think strategically um, about where those rooms are located. And that, that has really been helpful um, as well. So, um, mm -hmm. and then, now, so over time, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. yeah. No, you're fine. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask you one thing. You, We've been talking process improvement. We've been talking Lean and Six Sigma, but you brought up an interesting aspect of this. Uh, you brought up the leadership side of it. And earlier this year, I saw that you had become a certified coach, speaker, and trainer through the John Maxwell team. First of all, congratulations on that. And Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And secondly, um, what was your thought behind that? Because you're already a successful uh, administrator and executive there at Duke. And so you're, I guess, on your um, personal side, you're looking at personal improvement as well. So talk about that uh, decision and the role that leadership plays in making all of this work. Sure. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, both my parents are teachers, so I, I have an um, insatiable quest, I think, for, you know, continuous improvement, but also continuous learning. And um, I think we as leaders can always learn more. And the more that we invest in ourselves um, in terms of leadership development, professional development, the kind of the easier um, our jobs are and, the, you know, the more equipped we are to be able to handle those very challenging scenarios that we have um, on the leadership side. And so John Maxwell, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes that he has is, you know, to lead you need to bring people along with you um and you know the other side of that is you know people say it's lonely at the top and he's like well if you're it's lonely at the top you're not doing something right um and you really you know nobody wants to be i think these days in healthcare most leaders you know we don't want to be at the top feeling like we're dictating what needs to happen to our our teams or um you know our physicians we really want to have um an organization that feels like a team that's a you know community um, and we, you know, we're often so big, it's hard to make it feel like a family. Um, but by creating, you know, the expectations, consistency, you're able to really um, focus on the people because the processes are going to, in a, a lot of ways, the more you train everyone, take care of themselves. And um, so John Maxwell has as many, many programs, but um, a lot of them are focused around you know, just leadership and also personal growth. And um, one of my favorite laws that he has in his 15 laws of personal growth is the law of the rubber band. Mm -hmm. um, and it says, if you're not being stretched, you're not growing. And so sometimes in my courses, I'll pass out rubber bands. But if you think of that visual, you know, growing is uncomfortable and change is uncomfortable. But um, if you're not changing, then you're really not moving forward. And um, I think that's one of the things that we've really tried to build. I think Mayo did it as well. Um, and we've tried to do in Duke Ophthalmology is really create a culture of continuous improvement, continuous growth um, and supporting our staff in doing that. And um, as we've moved through our changes in ophthalmology, we have identified staff who, you know, maybe weren't able to meet expectations in terms of volume or um, other, you know, outputs for to maybe the direct patient workup, but they were fantastic in possibly partnering with the physician as a physician scribe or um, helping do some of the patient education and surgery scheduling components for um, our cataract, you know, surgery or some of the more complex surgeries that we do. And so we've been able to identify um, by creating a supportive culture, you've, we've been able to also, you know, find opportunities for people might 
um, be a better fit and still re retain them within the organization. So um, I think leadership, you know, goes a long way in, in terms of understanding why that's valuable and, um, and supporting it. And the other thing that I, I've done with, with John Maxwell, which I, I have used both um, personally at Duke with my team, but then also with um, some of the consulting groups that I've worked with and just actually did it last week with another group is the DISC certification um, or DISC personality assessment. And there's lots of different um, personality assessments, but um, this one you kind of understand, I think understanding how your teammates communicate um, and how you work under pressure and how they work under pressure um, is really, really helpful. And so that was one of the other tools that um, I think has been very beneficial. And I, I would say the practice I was working with last week, we actually, everybody took the assessment individually. Um, they all got their reports and then we sat together for a little over two hours and, you know, talked about the, um, their different personalities, talked about their strengths. So they kind of identified where they felt each other had strengths um, and they could see those strengths from the, per the profiles and then also maybe where some of them had obstacles um, and so that possibly impacted their ability to work together as a team and so that was that was really helpful and um, very very engaging conversation and I think that allowed even the the um, CEO you know to kind of let let their guard down as well and say you know yeah I know I have this and um, you know I'm either trying to work on it or um, this is why maybe this is coming across this way, but just, you know, the team, it was, I think, really just a great team building moment um, for them. And again, you know, we're all human, we're all going to make mistakes and um, trying to understand where the other people are coming from is very important. And I, I think that's one of the other aspects of Lean and, and Six Sigma as well is because often when you build these project teams that are going to work on these initiatives, you want to pick people from different roles. Um, so they see different parts of the process and having them explain to their teammates, you know, this is what it's like to do a pre-op for a procedure patient, or this is what it's like on the um, checkout side when, you know, we're also trying to get them scheduled for surgery and all the things that are coming through. Um, I think really just starts to help build that trust and, um, you know, teamwork collaboration across the roles that sometimes we can kind of all get in our silos and um, not really talk to each other or make assumptions about the other group um, and what they are or aren't doing. And I think that's really helpful is to bring those teams together so they can um, share with each other what it's like and then work together to create a smoother process for all of them. Adrian Lloyd, Chief Administrative Officer of the Duke Eye Center. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Adrian Lloyd. To read Adrian's article on how to 5S your practice for optimal success, search 5S at MGMA.com. You can also see Adrian present on key steps in utilizing Lean and Six Sigma for clinic flow optimization at the Operations Conference, April 16th through the 18th in Phoenix. To capitalize on early bird registration or learn more about the conference, visit mgma.com slash TOC. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing from listeners about the show. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at mgma.daniel. 
MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks for listening.